0: Continuing in our intentional discipleship, and boy, the Lord has taken me on some pathways that I was never i never even thought about discipleship before. In the past, when I thought about discipleship, I thought about bringing people in, teaching them the Bible, teaching them how to use the Word of God, pray, and all this other stuff, get, get involved in ministry. And last week, we looked at one of the Beatitudes of all things, and he's, you know, that I'm just happy are those who are desperate for God, because what happens is it draws, it's like a vacuum, it draws the kingdom of God. That because of those desperate ones, the kingdom of God is. And the more desperate we get for God, that what we're going to see is God's kingdom in operation and in power. And so this week, as I w- and then last Saturday, Saturday week ago in prayer, we heard the word healing explosion. And I and I, you know, I believe that I believe in healing. I believe this. This has been prophesied so many times that, that this is a church of healing and restoration. It's a church of resurrection power. It's a place where the healing power of God is going to flow. You know, years ago we had healing rooms. We we just so believe in healing and, and I just believe that God is gonna bring a, a major healing revival through this church, but I think he wants to do it through all churches. I don't think he's I don't think he's just wanting to make impact the only church in town that has a healing revival. He wants all churches to be this way. He wants all churches to have the kingdom of God present. So, you know, we, we don't want to get so big and think, well I just want it to be here, God. You know, several years ago we were in prayer. We we were praying all the time and and we were praying for revival in our community, and the Lord spoke in my heart and He said, "So what if I ask another church to bring revival? Would you still pray for it?" And, I, and this is what I said: "You wouldn't do that, would you, God?" <laughs> you know. And so what it was, it was kind of a wake-up call. You better check your motives, girl. Is it about the kingdom or is it about you? And so you know, we've come through. We've come through some transition and then some transformation in our life. But but as I'm thinking about healing this week, and and just you know, and I mentioned in my email to you yesterday that. That I said, God, oh, what's discipleship? I mean, I know you're healing. I mean, I understand all that, but where, where's that discipleship healing piece? And, and so the Lord took me to this scripture here in, um, in Matthew 10, and it says, as you go preach this message, heaven's kingdom realm is accessible. This is how the passion, heaven's kingdom realm is accessible, close enough to touch. Now, this was the message Jesus told his disciples to preach. This is the same message you and I should be preaching. The kingdom of heaven is here. You can touch it. You can touch it. And it says you must continually, listen, who's he talking to? Who is the you in this? Us. You must continually bring healing. To whom? To the lepers. Now, who are the lepers? They're the social outcasts, aren't they? They're the ones that are looked upon as being cursed by God. Do we have any of those people like that here? Not in, Maybe not in here, but I mean in our community. Maybe here, I don't know. Do we have people like that in our... Could that be the homeless, the drug addicts? Could that be the people that are, you know, we think are the scum of the earth? Kind of like the ones we looked at last week where he said the destitute are the poor, the homeless, the beggars, the ones that have no other option, but if God doesn't show up, I'm done. So we say he says to the lepers and to those who are sick, so we should be bringing continual healing to those who are outcast and those who are sick. And he says, make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people. Well, let's don't talk about that for Pete's sakes. They cause a mess. Don't you know casting out demons can cause a mess in your church? Only if you allow it. Who has the authority over the demons? We do. We do. We do. He says, so we should be continually making it a habit to break off demonic pre- presence from people. I'm just starting this today, okay? And I'm going to be, to it's, it's, it, so some it may appear a little elementary, But I want you to take notes because as we go through and move into the healing process of what God has provided for us, it's more than hocus pocus, right? There's a way to get healed. There's a way to stay healed. And I wonder sometimes if the healing power of God doesn't show up, number one, because we're not desperate for him. And number two, it's kind of like, have you ever had a child that maybe they weren't really taking care of what you gave them? You know, so you knew, all I'm going to do is bring destruction if I don't cut off the tap, right? Right? So we, we say, Well, no, you're not getting this money, you're not getting this you're not getting this privilege because you're misusing it. And I think sometimes, and this is just my thoughts, I wonder sometimes if people don't get healed because they're not really doing what it would take to maintain their healing. And I'm gonna explain all this in a moment. It's a little cool in here now. I think people are cold. So so and then it says and then listen to this one, and raise the dead back to life. Raise the dead back to life. We can't get them to the funeral home fast enough, can we? Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. Now, that's a whole concept all in and of itself. Come to my conference. It's going to cost you $19.95 or $49.95 or whatever it might be. Buy my book. Give this donation, and you're going to get this. We've had people tell us, if you give this donation, you'll get a word from God. A certain other amount of money you'll get a better word from God. Have you? Can you believe such things goes on in the body of Christ? Freely you have. We've we've been to conferences where there's been prophetic boots. You'd have thought you were at the carnival. Seriously, freely we have received. Freely we should give. Can we understand that? So the command for making disciples is to teach them what Jesus taught by word and by deed. So it's not just it's not just an intellectual pursuit. Of information that makes a person a disciple, it's kind of it's kind of like you know when I was uh, my undergraduate was in chemistry. So when I learned all this stuff in chemistry, we, what did we do? We had labs every week, and we went and applied the things that we learned. Right? Otherwise, it would just been a whole lot of head knowledge. And so when you see a reaction blow up in your face, you're thinking, hmm, I don't think I use that knowledge right that I learned this week. And we I've seen that happen. I've had that happen, even after I was out of the college. But but see, the thing is, if we don't know how to use the Word of God, what good is the Word of God? What good is the Word of God to us? And so, so it, if, if we look at Matthew 10, we see the specific instructions Jesus gave to His disciples to go and to proclaim the kingdom. We're going to talk about that in just a minute more. So let's look at why do we need to demonstrate the Word of God? And first of all, I believe, and this is one thing we have to understand, is we go and we proclaim the kingdom, we try to arm-twist or arm-wrestle people into the kingdom. We're going to be persuasive, and those who have a very persuasive manner about them can persuade more people. Well, let me tell you, if you can be persuaded in, you can be persuaded out. But you can never, you can never exchange a theory for experience. An experience of God is far more powerful than any theory that you might have about Him. And so when we demonstrate the kingdom of God, if, you ta- if we go out into uh, to the young people and we're demonstrating opening blinded eyes, casting out demons, raising the dead, going into overdoses of where there's homes, raising the dead, laying hands on the sick, jump-starting that heart again that's been stopped by drugs and alcohol and all the other things, do you think they're ever going to forget that? Do you think they're for- going to forget if they have an ear open, an eye open, a-, a limb to grow back? Some of the things that Jesus saw every day. And so he said, I want you to go and proclaim the kingdom, get their attention with this, and then we're going to disciple them. Then we're going to teach them to observe, to do the things that we have taught you to do. So if if we look at God's word, we see that it needs to be demonstrated in our life. Just very quickly, Proverbs 1, 2, and 3 says, talking about the Proverbs. By the way, my mic is going in and out here. Hello, by the way, again. By the way. podcast If you Hello, it's not working is it? there it is. Okay. The podcast has all the notes on the podcast, okay? Has all the notes. So if you want to if you want to Follow along with it and read it with, uh, with the notes. You're welcome to do that. Just go into pod, your podcast app, either on Apple or Android. Look up Impact Church International. Hit the episodes, and there's your notes, okay? So we look at, at the, the uh, Proverbs, and it tells us the very purpose of the Proverbs was to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. But it said their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. So the purpose of the wisdom is for what? A demonstration of something, there's a reality, there's a tangibility about it so that I can learn something so I can see a result, right? It's not just so I can sit around here and quote scripture all day long. You know, have you ever met people you can just spout out scripture but their life's torn all to pieces? We tell the story all the time of our friend uh, John Kelly with this guy came to him with a prophetic word for him and and John said, well, tell me about you first. And he said, well, I just went bankrupt, and I got this, and I'm almost homeless. He said, well, you go back and get a word for you first. Then you come and share your, the word with me. And so that next year, John goes back to that same church, and the guy he's, he comes up, and, and he says, I did exactly what you said, and I sought God, and I got a word for myself, and my life has totally turned around. John said, then give me the word you have for me. And he said it was a powerful word. So the word of God is not just an intellectual pursuit, but it's an application. It's an application. It says so we can then we can teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. What did the Lord tell Joshua? He said, You meditate on the word. Why? So you can make yourself successful. Then you're going to be successful because you what? Have meditated on the word. So then it goes on and says to help them do, to help them do what is right, just and fair. Proverbs twenty four, three says, Through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, a life, a home, a family built. By understanding, it is established on a sound and a good foundation. So the things that we learn are are applied in our lives, and we see tangible results from these applications. How many of you know that your life is better after you became a believer? You saw tangible, right? I love Pastor Zach's story about just going to school. He said he was barely getting along. After he got born again, he became an honor student. You know, God just shifted his mind, changed his mind. It probably a little bit had to do with self-esteem. Believing in himself, you know his IQ probably didn't change any, but his his EQ may have. First Corinthians two four, Paul says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I think another translation says that they were just plain talk. Is that it was nothing big he said, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of the power. And we need to have the demonstration of the of the spirit and the power. If we're going to make disciples, let's make them disciples of the kingdom, and not disciples of just intellectual knowledge, right? That's part of it. We need that knowledge. I'm not I'm not downplay that at all. You know, I love the word. I love teaching. I love doing classes and and all of this. But we do Luke four eighteen for one purpose to help somebody live their life better. It's not just so you can come out and say, "Oh, I did this class. That was nice." No, we want your life better. I was talking to a lady just yesterday. I met her over at the office and. And she said, I was just, she was just telling me all about herself, and she said that she was, um, had uh, quit her job. She had been in counseling every week for three weeks at somewhere else. And she said she had gotten so bad with depression because she had been, had, had some trauma growing up. And she said, I quit my job, and I stopped doing everything at church because I just couldn't fun, uh, function. So she came in, and she did the brain therapy, and she did Luke 4.18, and she said, because of those, I was able to go back to work. So she's working today so see there that's a tangible result of okay i took the principles that i learned and now my life is different because of those principles that i have put into place and i bet you if you've been through Luke 418 there's no new scriptures in there that you haven't heard probably three or four times none at all but we just allow holy spirit to get in there and reveal and heal what needs to be revealed and healed in our lives so so we ha- and that's what Luke 418 is all about he he talks about the poor he said i've got good news for the poor Okay, you don't have to be poor anymore. So there's, that's something tangible, right? He said, I've got good news for the blind. You don't have to be blind anymore. Your eyes are going to be open. That's something tangible, measurable. He said, I've got good news for the captives. You're going to be set free. That has to do with demonic oppression, by the way. If anybody in here has ever been delivered from demons, you probably, some of you might have, You should some of you might should be, you know, then, then there's, a, there's a tangible difference in your life. A tangible difference. And then... Uh, he also said, I, there's good news for the broken and the crushed, and that's, we're going to heal you. And so, you know, so we, we need to learn to apply the word. But let's go back to our scripture, uh, Matthew 10, and it says, as you go, preach this message. See, as you live life, you should preach to people that the kingdom of heaven is close by. And honestly, you don't have to say you need to come to our church so you can get healed. If we've taught you right, if we've discipled you correctly, you should say, May I pray with you. May I pray with you? May I lay hands on you? Do you think there might be a little bit of demonic activity going on in your life? Or whatever it might be. See, that's what that's what we do. We we teach people to go out and to do the work of ministry. And that's what it's all about. But he says, as you go, preach this message. Hey, God's kingdom's here for you. You don't have to wait till the next big conference. You don't have to wait till Sunday. Some people won't live till Sunday, right? And then he says, as I read earlier, it's close enough for you to touch. You must continually bring healing to the lepers, to those who are sick, make a habit to break off demons. We read this. Raise the sick, raise the dead, freely receive, freely give. So five, five parts of this. It says, this is where discipleship begins, by the way. Number one, it starts by preaching the message of the kingdom. See, those who are called to be evangelists are called to go out and to win the lost, right? But they don't hang around to disciple them. So we, that's why it's good to have an evangelist. You need the fivefold ministry in your church, by the way. You need the pastor, prophet, evangelist, pastor. I mean, what is it? Apostle, pastor, teacher, whatever they are. You know what they are. Ephesians four eleven. I'm going to read it in a minute. Okay. So preach the gospel. Then it says you should bring healing to the sick. Then we should cast out demons. Then we should raise the dead. And this, then we do this without any cost. See, this is your everyday run of the mill disciple how many of us are doing this don't raise your hand don't raise your hand so we have to proclaim and that word that word preach simply means to proclaim it doesn't say you have to get out there and teach them five points you proclaim that the that the kingdom of god is here hey we can pray we can get through this thing I told you a story about the lady on my job who was a Baptist, and and, and she asked me, Do you guys speak in tongues at your church? And I said, Yes. Yeah. She said, Would you explain it to me? And I did. That's all we did. She goes home and receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, God, some plants, some water, God gives the increase. So we have to be in season, we have to be fresh, but we need to be pro- proclaiming that God's kingdom is here. It's not something that just shows up on Sunday morning, right? And, and it needs to be something that's visible. It's a kingdom of power and transformation and healing. It has to be more than something we just talk about. And, and in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, Jesus says, "After you've revealed the kingdom to them, then you teach them to faithfully follow everything that I've told you." And so Jesus always demonstrated the kingdom with healing. If you go back and you look, I think there's over forty or fifty scriptures in the New Testament of Jesus bringing healing to people. Of course, some of the gospels repeat, but, but still, the they, and, and he says healing to it, we know that healing is to the flesh, but it's also to the soul. And I th- and one of the things I really want, or one of the, the main thing I wanted to focus on today was this whole concept of who we are as people. We are spirit, we are soul, we are body, and if we don't understand that, see what happens if we don't understand this. You know, it's kind of a that we're three parts, but we're, all all the parts are integral. In other words, they're essential. For us to be fully man. In other words, we have a spirit, right? We live in a body and we have a soul. We have a spirit. We have a soul. We are a spirit. Excuse me. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. So if we don't understand those concepts, we might get healing in one area, but not healing in the other. See, we can be healed in our physical body, but if our soul is sick and is causing the sickness, we won't keep the healing. Does that make sense? And that's what I really want to talk to us about today. And Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. So there's a distinction between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And we know that the soul is a part of our flesh life. It's not the body, but it's a part of it. And as we make disciples... And as we are being made into disciples, we have to understand the correlation between the soul and the spirit. We have to understand that difference. And if we don't, what will happen is when you get born again, many believers, their spirit man will come alive. Their spirit man, when, when we receive Christ, a spirit man is, is, is quickened to life. And if we don't understand that there's, then there's a process, what happens is they fall back into the old fleshly, soulish habits because they haven't been healed there, and they'll get under condemnation and they'll walk away. And we see a lot of a lot of people that just kinda of walk away from God because they think, I just can't do this, it's too hard. But what they knew is they need to be set free, they need to be taught, that they need to be healed in their flesh, they need to be healed in their soul, just like they need to be healed in their spirit. And I think it was um what's the guy from the Four Square? I've forgotten his name already, he's long gone. But anyway, he said one, one day he was in here back in the nineties and he said uh he said that you know, people forget that it's the body that—I mean, the spirit that gets saved, not the flesh. It's the spirit man that gets saved. The flesh has to get crucified, and who has to do that? We have to crucify the flesh. We have to crucify the flesh. So we need to understand that how God created mankind. And there's a scripture, 1 Thessalonians five twenty-three says, "Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy, and may your entire being, spirit." soul, and body be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. This is one of our major scriptures in our Luke 4.18. So we're not just looking at one aspect of humankind, we're looking at all three aspects if we want to walk in the fullness of our healing. And we see just quickly in scripture that scripture also refers to these different components. Uh, The spirit in 1 Corinthians 14.14, it says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, Right? But I don't understand what I'm saying because the spirit is praying; has been activated by the Holy Spirit. He's praying through us, or our spirit man is praying. And you know, there's been a lot of research done recently about the brain, and they've actually seen that that prefrontal cortex part of the brain that usually is active when we're speaking, when someone's praying in the spirit, it's not active because it's coming from somewhere else. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? What He has done. The second thing it talks about is the soul in First Thessalonians 3.13 says, May he as a result make your hearts, your soul, strong, blameless, holy as you stand before God our Father. When our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all of his holy people. And then of course the body, I mean there's many others. These are just some ones that came right to my mind is, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we see we have something to do, don't we? When you come in and you lift up your hands in worship, your body has to present that living sacrifice, but your spirit is what should get involved in the worship. See, it's the Spirit of God that brings worship. We're going to look at that again. Well, let's just look at that. We look at these three components just a little more closely. So the Spirit is that part of man that is in or out of harmony with God. It's that part of man that is in or out of harmony with God. And And the Word tells us, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So as our spirit connects with God's spirit, we're in harmony with God's spirit. And through that relationship in the spirit, he teaches us, he reveals us to us, his heart and his, his mind. So the, that part of man which engages in worship. Jesus said in John four twenty four, we worship God in spirit and in truth. Now we don't know sometimes what that means. Sometimes we just worship God in flesh. If we don't like the songs, I get upset about it. I don't think that's worship in the spirit. Well, they're not playing my favorite song. Let's get connected. Let's let our spirit... You know what? If if we when I've told you this When we were in Africa, they were playing with gourds with beans in them and looked like a washboard, and that's all they had, beating on an old tin tub. You know what? The worship was incredible, wasn't it? The presence of God was incredible because it wasn't about the instruments. It wasn't about whether they sang on key or off key, and we, we do like skilled musicians. But the thing is, it was all about the heart because it was a spirit of worship out of our heart. And when you come in here on Sunday morning, you should have your spirit man ready. God, I'm just, and it might take you a second, might take you a minute. That's why we start out the way we do. God, we just want to offer up our hearts to you. We just want to worship you. God, we want our spirit to be in touch with your spirit. God, we we don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm not upset if somebody's not raising their hands. It's not about them, not about me. Worship's about you. We want you to know how much we love you and care for you. So it's all about the the spirit of worship. And the spirit of man is our connection to God. It's our connection to God. And in 1 Corinthians 2.13 it says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead we speak words given to us, how? By the spirit. The entire prophetic is, is all about hearing the voice of God, getting in touch with that spirit that he has. You know, a lot of times here again, we want to rely on the flesh. Well, I think I, you know, I see this blue elephant in your life, and I think maybe God's telling me this. That's not from God. You know, God's going to give us a, he's going to give us words from his throne room that are true prophetic words if we can hear his voice, right? If we can hear his voice. But let me tell you, it takes a desperation for God. It takes a certain lifestyle. It takes, you know, I'm I'm sorry. This is something, we have to crucify the flesh, we can't be out in the bars and lounges on Saturday night and come in and think we can worship God in spirit on Sunday. I'm just—that's just the way it is. Is that okay to say that? We can't be lying and cheating and committing adultery Monday through Saturday and think we've got a relationship with God. It's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. We have to. Jesus says, "If you love me, you obey me. You do the things that I do, he says, then I'll come and we'll make our home. Then you can ask me what you want and you can get it. When the spirit is alive, we discern spiritual things." And that's what I just said. But when the spirit is dead, the spiritual things are foolishness. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14. Uh, people who aren't spiritual can't receive the truth. How many of you remember before you were born again? How many of you got all excited about reading the Word of God? I thought it was the most boring book in the world. I couldn't imagine why anybody wouldn't sit and read the Word of God, the Bible. I didn't call it the Word of God. I said the Bible. It was another book to me. The moment, the day I got born again, I went home that Sunday. I was in that Word all day. I could not get enough of it because lights came on. My spirit got turned on. Suddenly those things that were so foolish and boring were life to me. And it's been that way for 40 years, right? And so that is the spirit. This, I want to look at the man, the body part. The body is and that's the easiest part for us to understand. That's the part that helps us to associate with the world. We know you by your body, right? We also know you by your spirit. But if somebody says, "Oh, do you know? Do you know, uh, Laura?" I say, "Oh, yeah, I know Laura. She's beautiful, blonde. Yeah, I know Laura because I, I I relate to her." Let's see. Let's see. Let me turn this off. Let's just do that. That was God saying he agreed. But see, we know each other by the outward flesh, don't we? We also know each other by the attitudes of the flesh. We know each other by the habits of the flesh. We also know each other by the spirit that's within us. And so that that body is that part. It consists of our physical structures, our organs, our skeleton, and our circulatory system. By the way, how do we heal the spirit? You get born again, right? Salvation heals the spirit. And so the, the body is where the physical disorders, sicknesses, reside. The body consists of natural laws of biology and chemistry and physics and neuroscience that, that have to be in balance to run the body. And when these laws are violated or out of balance, what happens? Physical disorders happen. When things get out of balance, physical disorders happen. So when when, when we have a, a, a cold or a sickness or the flu or something like that, what happens? Something's out of balance in our life. So if We have... If you have high blood pressure, what? Something's out of balance in the life. It's not the way that God intended our natural body to be. And so demons can also take resonance in, torment, or demonize in a physical body. So that's that part of the flesh. Now, I want to spend a little more time on the soul. It's so important when we talk about healing that we understand these three concepts. We've said it so many times. We can come up here and we can say, God heals so and so of, of, of high blood pressure but they're doing everything they shouldn't do, right? So God might heal them that moment in time, but they walk out of the door, oh man, let's go eat somewhere, and we're going over to this Mexican restaurant, we're eating all this salt and all these carbs and, and all this other stuff, and I just believe God's going to heal my high blood pressure. That's called presumptuous faith. Or how about sugar diabetes? Bless God I'm healed. I'm just eating all this candy because I'm trusting God. That's foolishness, isn't it? That's foolishness. And so, and so we, need to, we need to keep the mind of Christ about us. So as we look at the soul, the soul is that part of the body that is unmeasurable. The body is very measurable and it's temporal. Unfortunately, it's too measurable at times, right, when we get on those scales. <laughs> but the, the soul is unmeasurable and it's eternal. It's that part of us. It's the seat of the desires, the emotions, the appetites, the senses, and the affections. Just to put it in a nutshell, the soul consists primarily of mind, the will, and the emotions. Just to simplify it. The soul consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The mind is what processes all the information. It's not the brain. The brain's a part of the body. The mind is a part of that soul, that eternal part, and it processes all the information throughout the body. The the will is that part of us that makes decisions. It's that part that makes decisions. And the emotions are the feelings we experience inside as a result of the outside events in our life. And I'm telling you, with all the counseling and the healing that we do, this is the primary source of most people's problems. Many times the physical body is out of sort because the soulish part of man is out of balance. The soulish part of man has been diseased. The soulless part of man is being tormented by Demons. And and that's what this young lady was. I was talking to yesterday. She said, "She said I feel so much guilt." I said, "Well, who's telling you you're guilty? That's the demons that are doing. Demons are put in condemnation. So we have to understand that. And so the health of the soul we know affects the health of our body." Third John two. I wish above all things you prosper, be in health as your soul prospers. Right. So that's why so many of us, and after we become born again and our soul begins to take on the the concepts of life, the the things of God, life just starts to get better. The good life just starts to follow. And Jesus spoke so much of the soul. Let me tell you what he said. This is how important the soul is. He said in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than our soul? This is what Jesus said. Is anything worth more than our soul? This is why we do so much of the Luke 4.18. We want people's souls to be healed. It's not because I have nothing else to do. The only reason I started this week is because a lady from outside this church came to me and said, I'm struggling with alcohol. I need help. And she's a leader in her church. And she's been everywhere. She's done everything. And I said, your problem is spiritual. She says, I know. So that's why we're doing it. So we're going to take about five or six others maximum. We're not doing a big group this time. But we want to get the soul healed because she needs to be able to walk in the destiny God has called her to walk in. And too many times people are in the bondages and the chains of their soul from the brokenness and the crushed spirits that they've had because life has not been fair to them. And no one's told them how to get healed. No one's told them how to get healed. It's so sad. It's so sad. And we have calls all the time here at the church. Even We're getting more and more calls, aren't we, Donna T.? At the church, people needing help, and, and they've been to this doctor. They've been to, you know, we had one recently. Been to a psychiatrist, and, and now they're just giving me more medicine, and I can Now I can't stay awake, and, and so you know, is, is it, It's just thinking. What what are you thinking? This is, this is not working. the The problem is not psychological. It is well, it's spiritual, which is causing the psychological ramification. So we need, to get, we need to get people set free so they can become everything God has called them to become. So the health of our soul, Jesus says, is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And in uh, Mark 12, verse 30, when they ask him, what is the greatest commandment we can have? This requires a healthy soul, by the way. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You know, I've read this many times thinking, well, that means the soul is different than the heart and the mind. Not if you get in there and really dig it out. Basically, what he was saying is all of these make up the soul. The heart, if we look at this in the uh, Greek, it's the Bible sense lexicon. Let me just tell you what heart means. Heart is that internal feature. It says it's the locus of a person's thought. It's the volition, the emotions, the knowledge of right from wrong, the conscience. It's understood as the heart. That word soul in the Greek is that immaterial part of a person which is the actuating cause of an individual life. The side of all the psychological faculties such as the heart, the mind, and the conscience. And then the mind, that which is responsible for one's thoughts and feelings, especially the seat or the faculty of reason. Do you see why Jesus says, is anything more important than your soul? Because the soul is what really controls our life. The spirit man, wants. if we feed the spirit and we allow the soul and the flesh to be crucified, the soul, the thoughts, the will, the emotions are going to control the decisions we make, the steps that we take, the things we participate in. And what Jesus was really quoting was Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And the Jewish people every day would quote this scripture. You love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. And let me just read something. Kenneth West in his word study says, The mention of the heart, the soul, the mind, and strength speaks of the devotion of the whole being to God. Is anything more important than our soul? We come to church, we worship God, it benefits our soul. We sit in church, we read the word, it benefits our soul. We pray to God, it benefits our soul. Is anything more important than our soul? He says the ancient Hebrews regarded the heart as the organ of the intellect and the mind that of the desires and the affection is all wrapped together in one. It's the soul. Is anything more important than our soul? When we make disciples, we have to teach them this full devotion to God. And too often what we teach disciples is devotion to a church and really it should be if god has led somebody to this church then they sh- it, we should only teach them devotion to god god might lead them somewhere else we need to just like we're doing with Olivia we bless her send her out let her do what god has called her to do but the purpose of the church is to equip the saints to do what the work of ministry Ephesians 4:11 tells us that it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry why so we can all be in one one mind, one voice, we can go out and we can touch the world and we can change our community. But if our souls aren't healthy, you can come to church every day that the doors are open. If your soul, we see it all the time. Most of the time we'll say, ask people, what's your religious affiliation? Oh, I'm Christian. I'm Christian. Don't we see this, Lori, all the time? I'm Christian. Well, what does that mean? They're shacking up with their the girlfriend or boyfriend? They're taking alcohol and drugs because they can't get by. They're cursing every word out of their mouth as a blaspheming God's name in vain. And they lie, cheat, and steal. But I'm a Christian. See, because there was a part of them that might have gotten awakened in their spirit, but their soul never got healed. And so we love these people, and we, ex- we extend hands to these people. We said, come and let God heal your soul so you can walk in that victory. And what happens, they feel like they've been defeated because I know I'm supposed to be doing better, but I, I just feel like I'm in chains. And that's what I hear all the time. I feel like I'm in bondage. I'm in chains. I can't break free. I can't get rid of this guilt. I can't get rid of the condemnation. I can't get rid of the depression. I can't get rid of the anxiety. So what do I do? I go back and get another prescription. Thank God for those, for, as, if they're temporary, but not permanent. Our goal is to be free, is to be free. I love Luke 4:18 I'm telling you, I can't say talk enough about it. He said he came to heal those who have been crushed by life to set free those who are held in bondage by the devil. That's what Jesus he said this anointing is on me it's on every one of us to give that good news to the poor, those who are lacking anything that God has promised, those who have opened the blinded eye, those not just natural but spiritual eyes to have a revelation of who God is. To understand that, you know, we we have been broken, we have been bruised, but let me tell you, God is there to heal. God wants to heal. He wants to set free. Do we believe that? We have to understand that deliverance is a major part of discipleship. And we'll talk more about deliverance later on. I'm just just wanting to hit, these are just the key points. And some of you, if you've been struggling with health situations, financial situations, relationship situations, you might need deliverance. Well, I don't have a demon. I didn't say you had a demon, but you might be demonized. You might be demonized. You might be walking under the oppression of the enemy. You need deliverance. And the Bible is cl- very clear on these things, and we'll go into this in more detail, not today. I was uh, w- I woke one morning this week, and I, it was, a, I was just praying for somebody. This have a, has a physical situation, and I've watched it just escalate over the over the years. And as I awakened, the Lord said, it's got a spiritual root. This person needs deliverance. This person needs deliverance. And I told this person that, and they said, let's do it. But what happens is we know that demons can cause physical manifestations, don't we? You know, what did Jesus cast out demons. The tongue's open, the ear's open, the eye is open. Casting out demons can cause physical manifestations. And so uh, we we have to, but we have to be hearing from God. We don't want to go around calling everything a demon, right? We don't want to be doing that. That's foolishness, and that can scare people away. Deliverance is an important part of discipleship. Matthew 12. It says, and when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it roams through the dry, arid places in search of rest, but it does not find any. By the way, who was the first person that was recorded in the Gospels that Jesus delivered a demon from? Remember? Somebody in church, right? It says, then it says, I will go back to my house from which I came out, and when it arrives, it finds the place unoccupied, swept, put in order, and de- decorated. And then it says, and then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they make their home there. They make their home there. And the last condition of that man becomes worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. We'll talk more about this in the days ahead. But see, it's not enough to bring deliverance. We have to not just sweep the house clean. We have to occupy the house with something else. That's where discipleship comes in. You get them free of the demons. Then you disciple them into the word and the, and the practices and the teachings of Jesus. Otherwise, we just they're walking around and they're a sitting duck for the enemy and their end is going to be worse than their beginning. We we Some of you may know Bill Suddeth. We know him, and we've had questions about bringing deliverance with children. And he says, I never deliver children unless I know the parents are godly parents. He said, because if you deliver a child that has demons and they put back into a home where the parents are living ungodly, it's going to be worse for the child than it would have been had you not touched them at all. So we have to use wisdom. We have to, we have to be smart. So it's not enough to bring deliverance, but one must be discipled into allowing God through Holy Spirit to occupy the house. And I said, if it's not, it's, the end is going to be worse. You know, Jesus, Jesus was very clear about the power of sin bringing sickness and disease. Very clear. He told one man, he said, go and sin no more, lest something worse come on you. There was a direct correlation between the man's sin and sickness. So just some truths we need to know about healing. This is just wrapping this up, and, I've got to, and I have got, actually have that scripture. Number one, man is an integral whole who has three principal dimensions, spirit, soul, and body. Man can be sick in any one of these dimensions. See, we've, we've seen people who have been sick in their physical bodies, but when we were able to heal their soul of unforgiveness, their bodies became whole. And there's physiological explanations for that as well. When a person remains in, in anger and unforgiveness, there's parts of the brain that starts producing all this negative stuff, cortisol and all these other negative uh, neuro- neurochemicals that wreak havoc on the body. It raises blood pressure. It causes diseases. It decreases inflammation in the body, creates strokes and all these other kind of things going on in the, the hormone system gets out of balance. So we see we have a soulish issue that's creating physiological effects. So any one of these areas can be afflicted. It's so because man is an integral whole, sickness in any one area may affect the other. For example, a person who has experienced lengthy physical sickness may be emotionally sick as a consequence such as depression or anxiety. When someone has been sick for a long period of time and dealt with just a long disease, lengthy disease, it's going to wreak havoc on their emotions. And in Mark 5, it says, in 25 and 26, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. 12 years. She had suffered a great deal with many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. See, that's a real red flag. When people tell me, I've been through this doctor, I've been through this psychiatrist, I've been through inpatient, I've been through outpatient. I've been on this drug, they've gone this drug, and they just keep changing. And I'm saying, well, your problem, that's not helping you. Your problem's spiritual. Are you going to live like this the rest of your life? We're going to get to the root of the issue. So we we have to be smart about these things. You know, if something doesn't work, we just quit using it, right? What's that definition of insanity? We keep doing the same thing, and, you know, we're going to get the same result. So what do we do? We've learned, and this lady told me yesterday, she said, I've come to the conclusion that I can never get my trauma healed. I have to learn how to manage it. And she said, I know you don't agree. I said, I absolutely do not agree. I said, if you will let me, we can heal this if, if you will let me. If you want healing, if we can heal this. She said, I've learned, I've come to the conclusion, I just need to manage my trauma. And that's what most people do. They manage their, their sickness rather than expect healing. Number two. A letter B a person who is spiritually sick through a sin, such as unforgiveness, rebellion, immorality, may become physically and or emotionally sick as a result. In third John two, wish above all things you prosper, even as your soul prospers. John five fourteen, Jesus spoke, found the guy in the temple. He said, Sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. So we see that, as I said a moment ago, that direct correlation between sin and unforgiveness is the biggest biggie. Most of what we deal with, if it, it, the root is unforgiveness, you say, well, I don't have any unforgiveness. Do you have anger? When you think about somebody, do you go, Ugh. do you want to avoid people? Do you love just being able to throw up a, a word against somebody? You know, I just can't, let me, let me tell you what I think about them. See, that's unforgiveness. And forgiveness is not for the person, it's for us. Forgiveness is for us. And when we let go of that anger and that unforgiveness, our body automatically begins to come in line. Years ago, New England Journal of Medicine, a Dr. Layton said he believes the root cause of all chronic diseases is unresolved anger or unforgiveness. Marriages are destroyed because of unforgiveness. Relationships are destroyed. And many times people are not even aware that they have this, this thing just residing in them. I told you a story. My mother was a precious woman. At 81, she passed away. But the week before she died in my living room, she was telling me something that happened when she was a teenager like it had happened the day before. Conversation, the whole thing. And you could feel the, the anger, how they did her wrong. And, you know, in natural, it sounded like they probably did. But, you know, how many of us have been done wrong and how many of us have probably done wrong, right? We've got to let it go. We've got to let it go. By the way, she died of colon cancer that had metastasized. And our doctor, I remember the day we took her, he said, outside of this tumor in your mother's body, she's strong as a horse. She would probably live on for years. And I wonder, all this anger and this resentment that she carried, I wonder what it did to her. Thank God she lived 81 years. Sin opens the door for a person to become demonized. I saved that one to last. First Peter 5 eight says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's talking to the church, people. He's talking to the church. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. We need to watch over our souls. Jesus says, is there anything more important than your soul? Is there anything? There's nothing more important because it will open the door for the enemy to come in and steal and to kill and to destroy. We've seen story after story of people when they would let go of these soulish issues their bodies would line up, sickness would disappear, and lives would be restored. A stand, if you will. Thank you, God. As I said, this is just kind of the beginning. I think we have a couple spots left if you're interested in Luke four eighteen. It's gonna be Thursdays one thirty to three thirty. We only have a couple of spots left, if based on what I've heard. Maybe two or three. I'm not sure. We don't usually turn anybody away, but we don't want a huge crowd like we had last time, because we don't be able to do ministry with people and touch people. You know, when people come and they say, "You know, my spouse is telling me they don't know what to do. They're, they're basically at their wit's end. We don't know." I don't know how to help you if you don't get help it's probably not going to be good for us marriages get destroyed parents don't even know how to parent their children because their souls are so diseased diseased we walk through life and we've got all this baggage all this baggage because we've been crushed and bruised and you know what we want to do is remain a victim well so and so did this to me well they did but Jesus says I came to, to set it right so-and-so molested me. Well, it happened. I told her, I said, I can't undo what happened to you when you were five through nine. But I, what I can do, is I can tell you, Jesus can set it right today. He can heal that. we got to let it go. He, he wants to heal. He said, I'm anointed to bring healing to the broken. I'm anointed to bring deliverance to the captives. So, God, I thank you, Lord, for that anointing rest upon your body. You said the same works you do, we can do. And God, I just pray that we'll have revelation, knowledge, Lord, and open up our eyes and our hearts, God, even our own souls to see. God, reveal, shine your light. Holy Spirit, we know you only reveal to heal. You do not reveal to condemn. You reveal to heal. God, reveal in our own hearts those things. that, Lord, we've become masters of disguise and masters of denial. God, I pray in the hearts of everyone here today, Lord, that you'll reveal anything that might be in their soul that's out of balance, that's keeping them from being and doing everything you call them to do. Insecurities and shame and unforgiveness and anger, rebellion and jealousy, rejection. All of these things are soul diseases that keep us from becoming everything you want us to be. So, God, we thank you for deliverance. And God, I thank you that we have authority over every miracle-working power of the enemy. And I just believe that the Holy Spirit is revealing some things to you even right now where the enemy has gotten an open door. Through resentment, through anger, through unforgiveness. rebellion or rejection. Maybe you've you've suffered under a spirit of rejection. Shame. See, shame does one of three things. It causes you to move towards someone. It causes you to move away from someone. Or it causes you to move against someone. One of those three things. We become such people pleasers because I'm so wrecked with shame that i got to please, I need your affirmation. Or I'm so wrecked with shame that I just hide in my corner. Or I'm so wrecked with shame that I'm going to criticize and condemn every person that reminds me of any person that has ever hurt me. So shame is so ugly. Father, I thank you that you are pointing out shame in people's lives even right now. Lord, there's people in here that have been ridden with guilt unnecessary guilt and the enemy is making them feel that they're always letting you down but God I thank you that Holy Spirit today is revealing that to heal that and God there's even some in here I know that have unforgiveness in their heart and maybe they hadn't even thought about it until right now resentment that little that little on edge that, you know, the emotions on the sleeve So-and-so did this to me, and -and so-and-so did that to me. Well, Lord, look what they did to you. You bore it all for us on Calvary. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're revealing that to heal that this morning in Jesus' name. There's also generational things that have been passed down through the generations. Hatfields and the McCoys, those kind of things. We don't deal with those people. Racial issues that have been passed down through generations, prejudices. It's not of God. You know, yesterday morning I awoke, and this this scripture was in my mind, and I didn't know what what to do with it, and I'm just going to give it out to you now, but it was in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, for this reason, some of you are weak and sleep. And so I kind of thought, what am I going to do with this, Lord? So I went back and started reading it. And you know what it was really all about? Sometimes we're mistaught and we're made to think that it means, well, I'm a bad person, I've lived in sin, therefore I cannot take communion unworthily. And so we have deemed ourselves as unworthy. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying we take communion in an unworthy manner. It's an adverb. Not an adjective. So in an unworthy manner, we take partake of communion. And the reason was because there was division in the body of Christ. There were people who were looking down their noses at the poorer people. The rich people would look down their nose. At the, there would be separation. You sit here. Oh, you sit there. He says, for this reason, some of you are sick, weak, and die. He says, because you have not rightly discerned the body of Christ. So God, I just I believe you're revealing to some people in here, Father God, their own prejudices. God, we break down every wall of prejudice. It's ugly, it's hateful, it's nasty, it's demonic. We don't tolerate any kind of prejudice in this house, Father. No racial, no gender, no economic prejudice. We break its power. We command every demon of darkness out of here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And there's some in here, and the Lord's just showing me this, so I believe it's touching some, but there's some in here who have such low self-esteem, you don't think that you're worthy for God to heal you think God's angry at you because you did this let me tell you Jesus bore everything you've ever done on the cross sickness is not of God he said I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers he says that he says just as I forgive your sins I heal all of your diseases that's God's, that's God's opinion of your sickness so we thank you God you reveal to heal. And Lord, I thank you for the healing power of God just flowing through this group, these people, Father God, all of us, Lord. God, we just come against that spirit that would try to blind us to truth, to denial of our own situation. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, mighty God, that every door that the devil has, uh, that has entered into, Father God, we slam it closed in Jesus' name. We repent of anger. We repent of unforgiveness. We repent of rebellion. We repent of witchcraft, Father. We repent of, of rejection. We repent of receiving the lies of the devil. We slam every door closed in Jesus' name. And we walk out in freedom. You said you came to set the captives free. So, Father, we fully expect a manifestation of your healing power in the lives of your people. We expect to see bodies healed, cancers removed, tremors removed, diseases removed, emotional depression removed, Father God. It has to go in Jesus' name. It has to go in Jesus' name. Let me tell you one other thing. Maybe we'll talk about this later. It just came to mind. And I've said it, and probably some of you have prayed this. In the name of Jesus, I cast you into the pit of hell, telling demons. You know, that's totally unbiblical. Jesus never casts a demon into the pit of hell. If that was the case, why did he say in that scripture that they go out and they roam the earth, and they come back? Where did he cast them with the gathering? Into the pigs, right? So their time is not up. So we, we need to quit thinking that, and this this can cause problems, because if I'm thinking, I've cast that thing into the pit of hell, it's never going to bother me again. Well, it won't if we do what we need to do. If we keep our house filled and we know who we are, our identity, we have authority over all the miracle-working power of the enemy. So we command every power, every spirit of oppression and depression to believe in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, God. Receive that in Jesus' name. Allow the Spirit of God to heal that in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you and we bless you. And Lord, I just, I just another thought. I'm sorry, this keeps popping in my head. God, I just want to break the trauma off the lives of people in this place. The trauma of rejection, the trauma of abuse the trauma of molestation, the trauma of verbal and emotional abuse. Father, we break off that trauma in the mighty name of Jesus. We close every door of demonization that's occurred because of that open door of believing a lie of the enemy. God, we walk in the freedom that you've provided for us. Every physical manifestation associated with that trauma, we break its power in Jesus' name. We cut the source of life from it in Jesus' name. And God, we just pray, breathe healing and health and wholeness. We receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Bless you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. God is good. God is good. Maria, come here. Let's talk about how God, what God's done for you. I just see that beautiful smile on her face. I hope it's okay that I didn't warn you about this in advance, but you have such a beautiful
1: smile. I've been depressed all of my life. And in desperation, I called, uh, actually emailed this church, and Pastor Donna answered that email. And um, I wasn't taking any antidepressants. Because I've been through that round in 1997. Every antidepressant that you can name through the VA, nothing worked. Counseling, nothing. And I went through Nexeland and uh, Luke 4.18, two sessions of uh, Luke 4.18. And I, I, you know, being in this church inspired me to go back to preach because I was praying all those years I was deliver me from this God and he set me free he set me free my mind is sharper than it has ever been um I don't know how I did it all those years except that God carried me you know I think about those um carry me through and I thank God for all of you being here today thank you Pastor Donna, thank you Terry beautiful beautiful Beautiful, beautiful.
0: I could pass this mic around to several of you let me tell you it's always God that does the healing, I want to ask you the same thing Jesus says, how important is your soul how important is your soul thank you Father, so just be blessed, have a wonderful week If you need us, give us a call. We're here for you. Prayer Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Saturday night, Wednesday 12. We believe in prayer. Be blessed.